Welcome to Break Bias. I'm your host, Brad Kramer. It's the 15th episode, and for the first time, we don't have a driver for this episode, as nobody has chosen the number 15 since F1 changed to permanent race fixtures in 2014. All the years before that, the race numbers were assigned, or I should say the, the numbers on the cars were assigned to the drivers. Since 2014, they were able to choose their own, and nobody has chosen 15. So I don't know if that's already a bad omen for this episode, saying it's not going to be special. But um, I figure I will instead give you guys an interesting stat with the number 15, because as you guys know, anyone who's listened to previous episodes, I always dedicate an episode to the driver who sports that number on their car for example 14 the last episode belongs to fernando alonso so it was the fernando alonso episode but there is no driver for this episode so the stat that i will share with you guys is well with the number 15 that's the number of pole positions that both max verstappen and charles leclerc have they are level on pole positions after max's pole in canada and they both sit one shy of the top 20 all time, with Felipe Massa and Sterling Moss just ahead of them. Anyways, next week we will be back to driver numbers for a while, so I figured I'd do something a little extra there. Um, but I'm here after the return of the Canadian Grand Prix, and I must say, it was a pretty good race. I, I think it was one of the better ones of the year. Um, I think it was probably better than Baku, which Baku usually is one of the races that holds up throughout the entire season. I think last year, Baku was probably arguably a top three race of the season. Canada might be in my top three so far. Uh, so uh, let's let's get right into this race review. It's lights out and away we go. So this was the first race at the circuit Gilles Villeneuve since 2019 due to the COVID-19 restrictions that didn't allow Canada to host a race. Uh, for three years, and I think it came at the perfect time, as it was 40 years ago that Gio Villeneuve himself tragically passed away at the 1982 Belgian Grand Prix at Zolder. Uh, Gilles was a fantastic racing driver, and the track was rightfully named after him following his death. And this weekend, the drivers did their best to honor the fallen Canadian who won his first F1 race on this very circuit. How special is that, to win your first race as, at your home Grand Prix? Um, you know, Lewis Hamilton, he won his first race in Canada. Many people know that, um, in his almost title win in his rookie season. Um, imagine winning your first race as Lewis Hamilton in Silverstone. That would be so iconic. I'm sure it's happened before. I actually don't know anyone else on the top of my head, but I, I, that is so cool, especially being a Canadian. I know I have a lot of Canadian listeners. Um, I think Gilles Villeneuve won eight races. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. But the first of his eight was won at the Canadian Grand Prix. That is that is so cool. Anyways, heading into the weekend, there was word of uh, grid penalties for Yuki Tsunoda. And most importantly for the championship, Charles Leclerc. Those grid penalties did come true. So both of them would be automatically starting at the back of the grid with their new PUs. Uh, also heading into the weekend, the FIA issued a technical directive regarding the elimination of porpoising, but it wasn't in effect in this weekend, so maybe we can cover that a little bit more next week in the preview for Silverstone, because that's when the technical directive will come in effect. Uh, anyway, the weekend looked like it had Montreal absolutely buzzing. Uh, the atmosphere looked insane. Uh, Tim Haraney, who came on the podcast, um, and I hope you guys really enjoyed that as much as I did, 
he tweeted that he's never seen such a raucous crowd on Thursday and Friday. He was there the whole weekend, as he mentioned in that episode. Um, and next year, I'm going to be looking to go because I've never been to an F1 race, and I really need to get out to one, especially with how much the sport has grown. And I've watched older races, and it doesn't seem nearly as much like like the crowds now, especially in North America are just completely different like Miami was insane and the US crowds have been have been big recently but it wasn't always like this um so I just think I definitely got to get out to an F1 race as soon as possible could not afford to get there this year but next year I'm hoping that I can make it work um it may not have been the best weekend to go to though so maybe there's a silver lining there because if you aren't a fan of getting wet um, it probably wouldn't have been a great time because qualifying on Saturday was very wet with the drivers starting on the extreme wet tires and it made for a great qualifying, maybe not so much of a great, um, experience in the stands. Um, but we got plenty of lap times on the board and it was very entertaining. You know, the track ramping up the whole time. We even got a driver trying on slicks by the end of it which is always an interesting prospect. A driver thrown on the slicks and still the wet track, the risk is there, but the reward is also there if they can stay on that dry line. And it didn't work out for them, but we're going to get to that in a second because we're going to about to start to review qualifying. In Q1, there's disappointment for Aston Martin and the Canadian fans as the team who looked great in the wet in FB3, Aston Martin, Vettel qualified, or sorry, not qualified, I think he was third fastest. He was he was in the top four. I, I actually forget which uh, which place he was in, but he was extremely fast in FP3, and he was out in Q1. As was Lance Stroll. As was Nicholas Latifi. Um, they just couldn't get out of the elimination zone, and uh, that meant both Canadian drivers in 2019, the last time we were in Canada, the pole sitter Seb Vettel was out of qualifying in Q2. For the first time this season, both a Red Bull and a Ferrari were eliminated. Of course, Leclerc didn't take part due to the grid penalties, but he wasn't really out of qualifying. He just, he didn't take part at all. And Perez slid off the track, couldn't get his car out of the barrier, and he was out in Q2 as well, um, meaning that we only had signs and Verstappen from the two top teams in Q3. Lando Norris also missed out due to problems with his McLaren. So those are three drivers we're used to seeing at the top, all missing from Q3. Albon and Bottas joined them in eliminating, uh, getting eliminated in Q2, meaning Zhou Guan Yu outqualifies his veteran teammate for the second week running. I am very surprised by how Zhou Guan Yu has uh, got on this season. I think very many people were like, oh, another pay driver who's, who's not going to be able to, I guess, get anywhere close to the quality of his teammate because we all know how great Valtteri can be, um, many-time race winner. And, you know, Zhou Guan Yu is, he's, he's really doing well. At certain tracks, he's even outperforming Bottas. Um, in Q3, though, it seemed to be uh, between Sainz and Verstappen, although Verstappen was quite dominant in this session. Alonso, Russell, Hamilton, the Haas pairing were actually all within touching distance. Yes, I, the, the Haas F1 team was in touching distance of the first row. That's how crazy this wet qualifying was. But, you know, I don't think anyone had the measure of Verstappen. He ended up putting his car on pole by about seven-tenths a second. 
to you think it would be signs, but it wasn't because signs, he, he would have been much closer, but he had a bit of an error on his final lap. And the final lap is really the one that you needed to nail because like I said, the track's ramping up and it, they just keep putting faster and faster times on the board. So signs, uh, gets a little squirrely on the exit out of the last chicane. He ends up with P3 because P2 was gifted to Fernando Alonso. And maybe I'm being a little um, insensitive to Fernando by calling it a gift, but Signs definitely had the pace. He should have been on the front row with Max, and that air did definitely cost him. But still, shout out to Fernando Alonso, who he's on the front row for the first time since 2012, and he had excellent, excellent pace. And so did the Alpines. The Alpines were fantastic this weekend. And Russell who I think definitely could have had a shot at that front row given that Carlos had that air and it opened up for any one of those guys to if they were able to put a lap together they were able to start on the front row and I think Russell could have done that but he made the gamble for slicks and it did not pay off the risk put him down in P8 he's a driver that seemed like he had the better of Lewis in most of the qualifying and I think because of the extra downforce he was carrying with his rear wing where Lewis had a bit of a more high speed setup um, I think that extra downforce that Russell had would have helped him possibly put it on the front row, and that would have been very special to see. But he was going for pole position, and I cannot blame him for it. I think it made for another enter like an entertaining prospect, as I said, um, and it gave qualifying an extra layer of entertainment for all the fans. So I, I commend George for giving it a go, and you know he still recovered in the race. I won't say what position yet, but... Like you guys have mostly seen it, you know what happened, but it was, a, it was a great recovery from George from P8. Lewis started P4, his best qualifying of the season, and behind him were the Hasses, who locked out the third row. An absolutely, shockingly good showing in the wet from Haas. Congratulations to Magnussen again, who starting P5 is fantastic for him, but mostly Mick Schumacher, P6, his highest qualifying of his career, thinking last year he... Got out of Q3 once, maybe? Or maybe he didn't even get out at all. I thought he got out once, but still, the guy that was... Or sorry, Q1. I said Q3. He got he got out of Q3. <laughs> yeah, that just makes absolutely no sense. Sorry, he got out of Q1, I think, once last season. Um, and if they did, that was a massive, massive success for that has to be able to get out of Q1. So to put it on P6, um, a very, very good showing from Mick who the Haas just looked like they were able to get their wet tires warmed up better than anyone and it really really helped them in this qualifying session so well done Haas um not so much in the race but we'll get that uh, can get to that later in the race the front four held position um but it was Magnuson who starting from fifth like I mentioned was actually on a bit of a rocket start. He was looking to make a move on Hamilton, just as he did in Spain. I was thinking while I was watching, I'm like, are we going to see this again? Magnussen and Hamilton taking themselves out of great possible point-scoring positions. And they were also close to doing it again. Like, they were very, very close. And Hamilton did all he did, all he could to avoid the incident. And luckily for him, he came off just fine. But Magnussen did not. He kind of ruined his race once again trying to pass Hamilton on the first lap, gets front wing damage, and ultimately he was eventually black and orange flag, which means you have to come in and pit to repair the front wing. It was like a 20-second pit stop. Magnuson was basically out of the race just like that. 
And the fight out front quickly became between Sainz and Verstappen as Sainz was able to get past Fernando Alonso. And especially after the two VSCs, it became very apparent that Fernando Alonso was not going to be in this fight anymore because after those two VSCs, almost almost everyone pitted after the first one. But then those who didn't pit after the first one got that second chance with the se- uh, the second VSC. And Fernando didn't pit for either of them. And I was very shocked by that. He went very long on his first stint of mediums. And I think that was not the right strategy as is evident by Fernando's final position because I don't think his pace was bad. It was just poor strategy from Alpine. Um, we'll get into where he ended up finishing later, but I want to talk about these two VSCs because they were from two very, very unfortunate. It was very unfortunate for these two drivers to cause the VSCs. A gearbox issue for championship contender Sergio Perez, who had a horrible qualifying. He wasn't very fast in practice, and then he is out in the race. Just an absolutely shocking weekend from him. One that he will not want to remember. He said that in a very quick um, post-race conference. Um, well, it wasn't a conference, like an interview, I guess. Uh, was very, very quick. He was basically just said exactly what I said. He wants to just get out of Canada as soon as possible and forget that that ever happened. Just an awful weekend for him. But to be honest, I feel more for Mick Schumacher, who was running in seventh at the time, and he just lost his engine. Everything just shut down on him. He still hasn't scored points. He was he was doing great, and it's it's so unfortunate for him to lose his chance to possibly score there. Um, anyways, after the two VSCs, for a large portion of the middle of the race, the, the only battle on the track was actually between the charging Charles Leclerc, who had caught up to, I think this was a battle for P6 at the time, between Leclerc and Ocon, um, but the Ferrari driver just could not get the traction out of the corner, out of the hairpin, sorry, uh, with his tire disadvantage to mount the overtake on the Alpine. He was quicker. It was cl- clear that he was quicker because he was keeping up with him easily, but on the back straight where you need to be able to make the overtake, Leclerc just could not get the exit that Ocon could, and by the time he got to the corner where you have to be in front, it's a very hard corner to be just breaking next to each other and going side by side you have to be ahead and Leclerc just couldn't get ahead because Ocon's exit was so much better every time so Leclerc was never even able to make the move stick so many failed attempts lap after lap after lap it was the only action on track and Leclerc just could not get past he eventually pitted for mediums and said let's get out of behind Ocon that's doing us no good we're not making up any ground. We need to get on and try to maybe get some fresh air, overtake some other drivers. And that's what happened. But the race got very interesting again after a long period of tire management. Like I said, uh, they were trying to make that one-stop work, but then a safety car came. And it was kind of an embarrassing moment for Yuki Sonoda when he crashed coming out of the pits. It wasn't really a good look, but you know, I couldn't. I can't say I was too disappointed about it because it made for... A very, very interesting end to the race. It was about on lap 50. Um, Sainz, uh, he had six lap fresher tires. Verstappen had pitted six laps before. The uh, safety car, Sainz was able to pit. It made very interesting because Sainz was P2, Verstappen P1. They were right behind each other. Even the Mercedes of Russell and Hamilton were right there. Could they possibly get in the fight? Um, 
but ultimately not really the mercedes did not really have what it what it took to stay with the top two but signs definitely had what it took to uh, stay with verstappen but he was not able to get past the dutchman was cold as ice took the checkered flag by under one second to signs um, it was a very entertaining ending. We all want Sainz to win his first race. I'm sure Verstappen fans are happy that he won, but I think anyone who's not a Verstappen fan was a bit disappointed with the result because we all knew Sainz had it in him, but he just couldn't do it. Verstappen was too good, and it was still a great race, but I think if Sainz were able to pull that off, this would have been a candidate for race of the year just because of the result we would have gotten and he would have passed Max with almost, it's six, six laps on hards is not really much of a difference at all. They were fresher, but it's really not that big of a difference. And Red Bull had the straight line speed. It was just so hard for signs to be able to make that overtake. He gave it everything he had. He said that. And, you know, he, he said something along the lines of two. He's like, you know what? I want to win just as bad as you guys want to see me win. I promise you, I gave it everything out there. He thinks he was the fastest driver on the track, but he just couldn't mount the overtake, just like Leclerc couldn't. I'm not saying Ferrari didn't have the top speed to be able to pull it off, but it certainly did look like that, considering Alpine was one of the fastest top speed cars in Azerbaijan, and we all know the Red Bull's top speed. So it did seem like they might have been lacking a little bit in that area. But anyway, rounding up the podium was Lewis Hamilton. That's his first since Bahrain. He was so happy to take P3. He finally beat Russell also the first time since Bahrain. So after he was calling the car undrivable on Friday, he really, really raced like a champion on Sunday to claim his 184th career podium. Like I said, I think the wings that Russell and Hamilton had on their cars, very different. The more downforce that Russell had, I think, cost him in the race. Uh, Lewis was much racier. But I think the qualifying, especially in the wet, the downforce would have had to have helped Russell. So I think that's why we we saw the Mercedes where they were. I think these two are very evenly matched. And I think the the diva of a car that the Mercedes is plays into Russell's hands because of the fact of having to drive probably the hardest car to drive on the grid, the Williams, for years. Russell, I, I, I know what, this is kind of, I'm kind of repeating what other people have said, but it's it's true. Russell knows how to drive a bad car. What he extracted from the Williams last year was absolutely impressive. And Lewis has been driving a car that has been on rails since 2014. It like the Mercedes has been so good to take a step back and drive a car like this. He's almost like adapting to it's like it's a brand new car. I mean, it is a brand new car. All these cars are brand new, but I think that. Russell's adapting less than Lewis is for sure and also the mindset of both of them I mean I can't really speak to their mindset I'm only assuming but Russell is looking at this car like this is the best car I've ever driven because it is and he is he feels fortunate to be able to drive this car whereas Lewis is disappointed with the performance of it so I think there might be a bit of a mindset thing there too and that's why Russell is getting the better because I think Russell's fantastic. I'm not saying, oh, Lewis is better and I'm making excuses for him. Russell is fantastic. Lewis is getting old. But we saw what he was able to do last year. There's no way he just lost that overnight. I don't believe that whatsoever. I just think Russell's fantastic. And he has a skill set that works with this Mercedes W13. 
anyway, I spent a lot of time talking about Mercedes there. Let's get into what are the points look like. It was Verstappen in P1, Sainz P2, making it five second places for Sainz in his career and no race wins. P3 was Lewis Hamilton. Russell was P4, continuing his streak of top five finishes. P5 was Leclerc, who earned driver of the day for his recovery from the back row. P6 was Esteban Ocon. Alonso was P7 on the track, but a post-race five-second penalty for weaving caused him to drop behind the Alfa Romeos of Bottas and Joe. Uh, that's Alfa's first double points finish since Bahrain as well. A lot of things happening since Bahrain this race, which is kind of weird. Um, but P10, the silver lining for Canadians, Lance Stroll. Picks up points at his home race again. I think he has a pretty solid track record in Canada. So great for Lance Stroll um, to at least pick up one point for Aston Martin too, who looked like they could have been in for a better um, better like weekend in practice. And then it seemed to fall apart. But, you know, he still salvaged one point. Congratulations to Stroll. Now, the championship. Max Verstappen holds a huge lead atop the Drivers' Championship standings uh, with a 46-point lead to Sergio Perez. Charles Leclerc remains P3, only three points behind Checo. So that puts Verstappen 46 and 49 points ahead of his two championship rivals. That's massive, but, you know, anything can happen, and I'm going to talk about the championship a little bit, a little bit later. Uh, Russell stays P4 ahead of Sainz by 9 points, then down in P6. Lewis Hamilton is a race win down on Sainz and 27 points up on Lando Norris. Bottas is in P8, only 4 points behind Norris, but he also has Esteban Ocon, only 7 points away from snatching that P8. A very close battle between those three. Uh, and for the second week running, we have a new member of the top 10. Fernando Alonso is now P10 in the Drivers' Championship 21 points behind his teammate. In the constructors, Red Bull still leads by quite a bit, 76 over Ferrari. The Scuderia only lead Mercedes by 40 points. They were the biggest winners in the constructors this weekend. Um, only two points more than Mercedes, by the way, but they were they did have the most points. Um, and we have a fantastic battle brewing for P4 right behind Mercedes. McLaren, Alpine, and Alfa Romeo. 14 points separate these three teams. We might have a, a very, very good uh, midfield battle between these three teams. And I think they are evenly matched. Some weekends, like McLaren is, I think, the best out of the three. But they're so inconsistent. And I think Alpine is trending in the right direction. I wouldn't be surprised if Alpine claims that P4 by the end of the season. But, you know, lots of things can change. Um, Alpha Tire scored no points this weekend. They stay in P7. While Aston Martin, on that one point from Lance Stroll, breaks the tie with Haas for P8. And finally, Williams, it's P10 for them. They only have three points. It's been a while since they've really even been close to scoring. Now it's time for my prize demise and surprise. Okay, my prize. It's going to Max Verstappen. Uh, I said I would talk about the championship a little later. I have other things to talk about the championship as well. So this will be my, I guess, Red Bull part of the championship discussion. Um, call me insane, but I think Max Verstappen just won the championship this weekend. Um, it is crazy early to be saying that. And I know I am completely overreacting from this win. But it disappointed me because I want to see a closer fight this year. 
And I think it's just going to take an absolute catastrophe to stop this man from taking back-to-back titles. He's that good. He's he's in the best car, and his teammate just fell a bit too far out of the fight. Um, Ferrari, they they's really like with Charles Leclerc already taking a new PU on round nine. There's going to be other times where he's going to have to do this, and I just I don't know. I don't know if Ferrari has it in them to to bring 46 points back for Charles Leclerc and what was it 76 76 points in the constructors I just don't think they have that in them to swing that back like like Red Bull just swung it in their favor it's gonna have to take that big of a meltdown for Red Bull I just I don't see that happening sure it only takes a couple DNFs 46 points two race wins for Leclerc and he's back in the lead but even then, do we really think Max won't pick up maximum points when he does finish the race? Barring Monaco, all this guy does is win. So I don't know why I should be expecting anything less from him. Congrats on a fantastic win, Max. You deserved it. And I just I don't see how anything is going to change moving forward. I wouldn't be surprised if Max Verstappen wins this championship by a larger margin than 46. I don't think it's going to... I think it might get worse before it gets better. And maybe I am overreacting after a win like that for Max, but sheesh, I just I just don't see it. I think if Ferrari kept on doing what they were doing at the beginning of the year and Red Bull sorted out the reliability, I think Max trying to catch up would have been made well, that would have made for an interesting championship. But I just think Ferrari has blown it. I know the the conversation I had with Tim, he think he's he's kind of on that side, but also saying, you know, anything can happen. And that's kind of the stance you have to take because it's absolutely right. I really hope this doesn't happen, but maybe Max gets injured. Maybe he misses a couple of races. Who knows? Like things like that have happened in the past. And I'm definitely not wishing injury on anyone just to make an entertaining championship. That would be ridiculous. But that's the type of thing that that it would take in my eyes. I just, Max wins races. He's that fantastic. He's the best driver on the grid. And I know all of you, people have complained for years when Vettel was winning every race. It was boring. When Hamilton was winning every race, it was boring. It might get to this point with Max Verstappen as well. And, And maybe it already is for some of you, but if it hasn't, Fair warning, because he is that good, and when Red Bull is building a car like they have, Max is going to win a ton of races. 25 wins, I think it is already, and he's at 24 years old. It's still so early, but look out Lewis Hamilton's records. I mean, this is this is seriously impressive, so my, my Max, my prize, has to go to Max. Now my demise. This one is easy this weekend. It's got to be McLaren. I have no idea what happened here in in Canada, but they were honestly a bit of a joke. They had one of the worst pit stops I've seen. Um, It was kind of like Mercedes Secure 2020-esque. Obviously, Mercedes is blowing a win, so it was so much more dramatic because McLaren, they had trouble reaching top speed. They had trouble with their brakes, so they didn't really have the pace like anyway. But their pit stop was terrible, but their drivers out of contention. Uh, Daniel was P11 and could have scored, but the pit stop ultimately cost him. It cost his teammate much more time. But Daniel's pit stop was slow too, and that could have ended up costing him because he was passed on the like the final few laps. I don't remember which lap it was. Um, but yeah, both drivers failing to score. Shocking effort for that from them. 
and hopefully a traditional track like Silverstone gets them back near the top because Alpine is looking really good recently and they're going to blow McLaren out of the water if they don't sort out their stuff fast. I think on the traditional tracks, McLaren could end up being better than Alpine, but they just got to find some consistency. Like I said um, just, just a bit ago, McLaren is so inconsistent and they, they, they have a podium this year but they also have a couple races where they don't even score. It's it's kind of it's it's kind of shocking for McLaren. I'm I'm hoping that this stretch of traditional tracks like we have Austria, we have France, we have Silverstone, we have Hungary, we have Belgium. Like it's a while till we have another street circuit, so I'm hoping that will help out McLaren. My surprise, I'm going to give this one to Mick Schumacher. I've already talked about him a little bit um when I talked about who brought up the VSCs in the race review. But I was pleasantly surprised uh, by him this weekend. I think people had a bit of higher expectations for Mick this season. And seeing what Magnussen has been able to do in Haas, and Mick still hasn't scored points, I think a lot of questions were starting to come up about Mick. And obviously in Miami, when he kind of blew points with that silly um, incident with Seb Vettel, it... It, it has brought up questions about Mick's future in F1, and I just think that what he was able to do this weekend was a massive plus for him. Um, you knew that Haas would fall back in the race um, after they qualified so well because it was in the wet, and they struggled in the dry in practice. I think Steiner even said some team principal, Steiner, um, said something along those lines that the wet were was the kind of the reason why they were able to qualify so well. Um, K-Mag, he finished P17 in the race, and that was his own doing, really, because of the first lap incident, but I think he, he probably, they both would have fallen back. It would have been a tough one to stay in the points, even for Mick, but Mick was robbed of that excellent opportunity to score his first points. He was driving so well, he really deserved that chance to convert. And sadly, one of the greatest qualifying performances for Haas as a team ends in another disaster of a weekend. And Mick was really the only person in that entire team that you can't blame. And I think that's a positive for him. So your time will come, Mick. We all want you to score. Just as we all want Sainz and Russell to get their first wins. Um, we, we ain't no haters out here. We, we want to just, we like everyone. And it's better to be a fan that way. If you if you live as a fan just hating on other drivers, sure, it's it's okay to have a rival, you know. In hockey, I always say like I hate the Boston Bruins, but I don't I don't hate any of their players, besides maybe Brad Marchand, but that's a different story. Um <laughs> it, it's it's fine to have rivals. Like I as a Mercedes fan myself, you know, Red Bull is um a rival, I guess. Like a team that I, I don't necessarily cheer for. But I give them max respect. Red Bull has the best car. They have the best driver. And they have absolutely turned themselves around after kind of a, a bad stretch of years after their four consecutive championships. Red Bull is arguably the top team in F1. And I give them full props. It doesn't mean that because I'm not a fan, I have to trash them or anything like that. So anyway... I think I'm done talking about Red Bull. I'm done talking about Mick. Um, we're going to go to the championship segment now. Um, and because of Red Bull's massive lead, not really much to talk about with Checo. I'm not going to talk about Red Bull at all in the championship, actually. I'm going to talk about Mercedes. I've already talked about them quite a bit as well. But there's a little bit more I want to. So, this is going to be all about 
can Mercedes inch closer to Ferrari? Ferrari took the most constructors points in Montreal, but Mercedes is right there, only two points behind them with a third and fourth place finish. The Mercedes is an absolute diva of a car, and we know this, but it seems like on the traditional tracks, it does quite all right, you know? It hugely lacks qualifying pace everywhere, but the race pace at tracks like Spain and Canada, it has done, it has not been that far off. And before the safety car, Lewis Hamilton was matching the leaders. It looked like almost, hey, could Lewis actually like kind of be in this fight? I doubt he'd be able to overtake, seeing as how easily it, easy it was for Max to overtake Lewis when they were on the same piece of track. Um, but it was that 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 prospect was there. It, it was. I was thinking, I'm like, hey, maybe this is possible that he at least like hangs around. Um, that really that wasn't the case, but they still weren't that far off. Lewis finished seven, seven seconds behind, and it was a 20-lap stint after the safety car. So, I mean, that's almost half a second a lap, I guess. But anyway, I'm not here to, to do math. <laughs> um, but the reason I want to talk about Mercedes is that Lewis said a few weeks ago that Silverstone has to be the deadline before the team shifts the focus to 2023. And Silverstone is up next. It's an old school track in a country that is home for both their drivers. It's typically a place that upgrades are brought to um, a lot. And it's rumored that Mercedes is going to bring a big package there, as a couple teams are actually bringing upgrade packages there. But I'm going to save that for the preview. Um, Mercedes could be close here, like they were in Spain and in Canada. And if this last big upgrade effort makes a big difference for them, they could close up on Ferrari, especially if Ferrari doesn't get their act together on the reliability side. And they're going to have a grid penalty from Leclerc and possibly one for Sainz later as well. Uh, Mercedes looks like the best team in terms of that, having not like not having to take grid penalties later on. They're, they're, what, like, have we had a single issue from Mercedes besides that like weird fuel issue that cost them one position in Spain? And... That's really all I can think of. I can't think of another reliability issue they've had. They just have weird. They just have a weird car in terms of like how it works, I guess. But um, do I do I think Mercedes is going to be able to catch up to Ferrari? Not really, but I think it's worth talking about because it's evident um, that Merck's bold design hasn't really paid off. Their philosophy probably just isn't the right one, and I don't really think a, a big upgrade will make that big of a difference. But I think if they were to win a Grand Prix this year, I still think it would have to be like a chaotic race like Hungary was last year where Ocon was able to win. I think it honestly would have to take something like that for Mercedes to pick up a win because on pace, I just don't think they have it. But it's with Ferrari throwing away points like they have, who's to say that they're not going to continue to struggle with this? Mercedes is there every race. If they just continue to be best of the rest, pick up those points, Ferrari loses a driver every every now and then. Mercedes is going to be there, and it might be very, very tight. But there's also a layer to this that I have not mentioned yet, and it could very well affect the pecking order, and that's the aforementioned technical directive. Mercedes and Ferrari have been two of the quickest teams despite the porpoising, and if they aren't allowed to porpoise anymore they might lose a decent amount of performance and the Mercedes getting closer to the front might be all for naught if this directive ends up costing them performance. Same thing with Ferrari. If, if that affects their performance, it's an even more just not guaranteed, but 
it's an even more just it's a Red Bull's title to lose and it could affect teams majorly and it's 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 hard to predict we don't know what it's going to be what it's going to be like come Silverstone maybe Mercedes package is going to be addressing that technical directive just completely it's completely just it's made for the technical directive maybe they'll be fine who knows but I think that is definitely something I have to mention when it comes to Mercedes and Ferrari two of the teams that have been I guess they get a lot of television time we see them bounce probably more than any other team so it could very well affect them and there were rumors about Toto Wolff and Matteo Bonato after the race kind of having a, um, a heated discussion I'm not sure what the validity of that is but um, I figured I'll just throw that out there if someone wants to look that up themselves and see if that was true um, go ahead or I guess make it for I don't think any I shouldn't say see if it was true because I've seen it it's kind of like whether you believe it because I don't think it's come from any confirmed source or anything like that so you can you can look that up yourselves I'm not going to say it happened or exactly what happened because I don't think any any one of us were in the room with them right so anyway uh as I do before the end of every episode now a quick shout out to a brilliant sim racing league and RLR the champions division which I race in is in Australia this Friday for the penultimate round two rounds left guys and the championship battle is extremely tight it could go right down to the wire so you're not going to want to miss that uh so if you want to check out our league go to youtube twitter or facebook and look up raw league racing to get our races with commentary or go to my twitch channel be crazy to watch my personal streams so that will do it for the verstappen and leclerc pole positions episode of break bias because we don't have a driver with number 15 I'm your host, Brad Kramer, and I'll be back with episode 16 next week to preview my favorite race of the year, the British Grand Prix. I think this has potential for race of the year. Goodbye.